Good morning. I don't know how many times we've been through it, but we've been through it several times. And that is, in the last few days, last couple of weeks, there's been several more shootings. One at a school, one at a bank, they make the national news, and there are all sorts of cries for something to be done. State legislators in Tennessee were interrupted from doing their business of making laws and doing whatever state legislators do by those who were basically causing a disturbance because they wanted to be heard. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be heard. I don't know what caused those individuals to do what they did. Some might say they were just mad, they were crazy. Maybe mental illness did play some part of it, I don't know. Allegedly, Connor Sturgeon told one person that he was suicidal, that's the one who went to the bank and shot his co-workers, colleagues, and law enforcement officer. Audrey Hale, the school shooter, was assigned a female at birth but reportedly identified as a transgender man. I don't know if she was transitioning and what the drugs that she was given to do so, if that's what was going on, did something to her mental state. There are thoughts that those drugs will do something. It's definitely possible that there were some mental issues going on in all of these cases. But it's also possible that it was not mental, that it was just evil. Roy Baumeister wrote a book called Evil Inside the Human Voice and Cruelty. He asked the question, why is there evil? And he says, after reviewing what is known about the causes of aggression, violence, oppression, and other forms of evil, one has led to the opposite question. Why isn't there more evil than there is? He noted some root causes of what he calls is evil, three of them at least. Simple desire for material gain. You have it, I want it, I'll take it. Maybe threatened egotism. A person that has a chip on their shoulder is, you know, basically they are the great one. They want everyone to look at them as such. And if you don't, there may be a problem. There are those who suffer from narcissistic personality disorder, which was included in the DSM-3R, but has been taken out according to what I found on the internet. Another one is idealism. Noble ends justify violent means. Our course is noble, and I have to do this, no matter what the cost. I don't know that that necessarily explains all of it, but I do know that one thing is true. We are reaping what we have sowed. Paul, in Romans chapter 1 Verse 18 and following, and I'm not going to read it all, I'm just going to refer to it here. Paul said, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what is, can be known about God is plain to them, for God has shown it to him. He basically says we can see the effects of God. Now, the revealed word tells us about Jehovah and his son Jesus, not the creation. But the creation says there's something bigger than you are. 
And you need to seek him and find him. Anyway, he says, they're without excuse because they ignored the creation. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them up into the lust of their hearts to impurity. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, verse 26. Since they did not see fit, verse 28, see fit to acknowledge God gave them to a debate, up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, and on and on and on. Evil plays a part in our world. Man knows God, that he does exist, whether man wants to admit it or not. I think it was William Lane Craig was talking to in a debate with an atheist, said, so let me get this straight. You believe that there was about 20 billion years ago, or 200 billion years ago, whichever it was, that all of matter was compressed into a single microscopic dot, and then all of a sudden it became unstable, and bang, it all blew everything in the world into existence that we see. Yep. Now, he said, I believe that there was a God and he created all of this. And you would tell me for believing that that I'm crazy. But which is more believable? I start with God and you start with dirt. But you don't answer where the dirt comes from. God knows, man knows, God gave us up. So we have evil in the world today and sometimes its effects are pronounced and while sometimes they're subtle. We don't think about it. Evil exists, though, in our world today. It has always existed and will always exist until the Lord calls this world to an end. Theodore Roosevelt once said, The times are evil. That is, there is much that is evil in them. It would be to our shame to discredit if we fail to recognize that evil, and discredit if we fail to recognize that evil. If we wrapped ourselves in foolish optimism and failed to war with the heart and strength against that evil. So evil starts in the heart, the futile mind that's darkened, and God said, go your own way and see if you can do it. And man has proven he can't. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood in verses 10 through 12. He says to put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So take up the full armor of God, so be prepared for it. There is evil in our world. And as we studied Galatians a few weeks, a few months ago now, in chapter 5, there was a comparison of the works of the flesh and of the spirit. And what he's saying is if you're not walking with God by faith, not living according to the spirit, then you're going to fall victim to these works of the flesh. And he says what they are is sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, 
sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. I guess it would take this pretty strong anger to go into a school and start shooting people. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. But you live according to the Spirit of God. You live this way, you'll put on the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these. This is how you will live your life. By doing these things. But there is a certain amount of serendipity that we can find as we take an examination and look at evil. You know, serendipity is defined as the occurrence and the development of events by chance in a beneficial way. It's also said to be happening upon fortunate discoveries when not in search of them. Jesus illustrated a serendipity in a couple of places in the parables of the hidden treasure. And the pearl of great price. And just to remind you of them in Matthew chapter 13, somewhere around verse 40, not exactly certain because I didn't put it in here because I'm just going to draw your attention to it. He said, a man went to buy a field. Looking it over, he found a treasure that was hidden in it. Now that was a common everyday occurrence then. They didn't trust people. They didn't trust, have banks like we know it. So they would bury the treasure. And maybe generations had gone by, maybe ownership had changed, but this man is fortunate, finds a field, it's of great, finds his treasure, and it's of such great value, he sells all that he has, and he goes and buys that field, because the treasure in it is more valuable than all that he has. And likewise, a merchant comes upon a pearl that is the best, most valuable pearl he's ever seen. It's a one-of-a-kind and he sells all that he has so that he can buy that pearl because its value was so great. We sing the song, Count Your Blessings. It would have us to look on the positive side of life and realize that regardless of how bad things may look, God's blessings are still numerous. And that's very true. But as you deal with life and the pain of suffering that comes with life, you need to consider some things about evil. And what can we learn from it? Well, the first thing that we can learn from evil is it causes us to see that we're human. Man has made some remarkable advancements and oftentimes uses them for society's good. Transportation. Who would have thought when they developed a steam engine and started laying rails and could transport goods across this country? Or when they invented the internal combustion engine? Regardless of Henry Ford saying, you know, I don't care what color of a car you have as long as it's black. But he revolutionized and made automobiles common to everyone. And I'm certain that he would be thoroughly surprised at the way automotive technology has come from, from the time he built his first car to what we have today. Airplanes. The Wright brothers would be amazed at what we can do with flight. Flying faster than the speed of sound when they barely just went a few miles an hour. I don't know how fast they went, but doesn't compare. It was many years ago, and I really kind of regret not pushing my luck when Kathy and I went to Kenya. We were on British Air. We were getting ready to fly British Air from London to Nairobi, and right across the airport, I think, I think it was Heathrow there was the Concord Lounge. I went to the lounge and took a couple of pictures. I really wish I would have asked, can I go on the plane and take a couple of pictures? 
Because this is the closest I'll ever get to flying on this plane. And now they no longer fly in the Concorde. But we can go fast. We can communicate anywhere in the world. We can make a phone call. We can send a text. We can email. Of course, that can be good and bad. We can extend human life with medical technology. Political freedoms give people a voice in their government. But those same technologies, those same freedoms have been used to exploit to hurt others. The Internet's wonderful for all the information that you can find on it, but it also has a dark side. There's a lot of pornography on it. There's a lot of cyberbullying on it that we're aware of and we fear for our children and grandchildren. Those in control of websites on the Internet sometimes use their power to stifle free-flowing discussions. Sometimes it's at the request of government so that free speech is disallowed. We can travel places quickly, but we can also, that same speed of travel, deal death and destruction quickly. And sometimes it's just too much and we just throw in the towel. We don't want it anymore. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, I don't want you to be anxious about today. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. I think he said, don't be anxious about life. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. God's going to take care of you. Now, I know I've played with the text, but isn't that what he's saying? God will give you everything that the Gentiles are eagerly searching for. God's going to take care of you. We don't have to throw in the towel and accept defeat, even though we are human. But sometimes when we think about evil, it, we look toward God, and it should cause us to see the sovereignty of God. The Greek word that we translate sin is harmatia. It's defined and said it's missing the mark. Well, that's what it would be used for in early Greek. Shooting an arrow at a target, throwing a spear at a target, you miss the mark that you intended to hit. But really, sin is just us telling God, no God, your way is not right for me. I'm just going to forget about you and I'm going to do it my own way. In the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect for a while. Don't know how long. But then along came Satan in the form of a serpent. And Eve believed his lies. And so did Adam. And they were cast out of the garden. Noah, before the flood. Genesis chapter 6 tells us that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It sounds like then that God saw that man walked away from God, much like what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 1. Then there came a flood. God wanted to start over, and he did. But it didn't take long. We read about the power of Babel. And they were all together, and they were their hearts were on evil again. So God confused their languages. Abraham, a man who followed God by faith, but he had his moments when his faith didn't carry him through. Twice he lied about Sarah, his wife being his sister. Then, of course, there was the incident with Hagar, trying to get the child that God had promised him, but not trusting in God's timeline. King Saul, choosing not to obey, was removed from the throne and from his house. 
throne was removed from him and his house. And it follows all the way down to you and me. We decide, God, what you want isn't what I want. Nebuchadnezzar was fortunate. He had a warning one night in a vision, a dream. Nobody could tell him what it meant, so he calls for David, and David tells him what it means. And David is terrified for Nebuchadnezzar. He says, oh, don't, don't do this. Don't forget this. But a year later, Nebuchadnezzar forgot. And so in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 4, we read of the vision and David's interpreta- Daniel's interpretation and Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation. But God's sovereignty was shown in that Nebuchadnezzar king, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was maintained. He was humbled, and he recognized that God was, and that he existed. Various wars and acts of God, as they're called in insurance policies, are events that one cannot prepare for or prevent, but they cause us to see our humanity but it's also that there's something out there bigger and wiser and stronger than we are. Because they cause us to see that this world is not our home. As the song says, we're just passing through. They cause us to seek out that which is eternal. God is sovereign and he rules over all people. And one day, people will realize it. But hopefully, most will do realize it before it's too late. But unfortunately... The way is narrow that leads to life. The way is broad that leads to destruction. And so as we see our humanity and God's sovereignty, it causes us to look for that Savior. History has not changed, and I would guess that in times of great pain, people tend to reflect on the meaning of life and the reality of death. It can be a school shooting. It can be an employment place work shooting. But after tragedy, some people will, for a time, seek answers in their life. Some will blame God. God, if you, if you were really God, you wouldn't permit such evil. They don't look at themselves and say, what has happened to us that has allowed this evil to percolate to the surface? If God gave them up, he's saying, you're on your own, man. You want it that way? You're on your own. Do it your way until you wake up. And call for me, and I'm just a prayer away. Surveys indicate during times of crisis, war, tragedies, that there's a greater movement towards spirituality, church attendance, a greater focus on God, because we recognize we're not in control. Unfortunately, revivals don't seem to last very long. They're short-lived. We get back to our way of normal before the tragedy really quick. That's the way it was with the Israelites when God brought them out of the wilderness, out of Egypt. They saw ten plagues. God was bringing judgment upon Pharaoh with a mighty hand. They get to the Red Sea. Now they're trapped by a sea on one hand and Pharaoh's army coming at them. I think with six or eight hundred chariots. His top elite troops. And they're scared to death. Why didn't they just ask Moses? Moses, call on the Lord and ask him to reveal to us how he's going to deliver us from this. But they didn't. 
They were afraid. And I probably would have been right there with them. I'll admit that. But they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us to die in the wilderness? Why have you done this, bringing us out of Egypt? Prior to that, they've been crying to God. Saddened by the fact that they were in slavery. They get their freedom. They go in as slaves. They come out wealthy and prosperous. But in Exodus, God fought for them. Moses parted the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh's coming across on dry land as well, and they're afraid again. It's almost like God opened the way for you to get freedom, to get across this obstacle. Now watch what he does. He's going to take away your adversary. And the sea collapses on Pharaoh and his army. Didn't take them long. Exodus chapter 15, they run out of water, and they grumble about that. Later on, when they would send spies into the promised land, two said, God will do this. Ten said, no, he won't. So they believed the ten. You know, the majority's right all the time, right? They didn't go in because they didn't trust God. I just finished reading Joshua, now reading the book of Judges. But the book of Judges can be summarized easily as being safe or saved. But then there's a period of forgetfulness. And that forgetfulness is what leads to sin. And that sin then leads to suffering. Because God's not on your side now. But then, as God had promised them, when you return to me, when you pray to me and you seek me out, I'll deliver you. And so he would send them a savior in the form of a judge. We need to wake up and see our need before calamity strikes. The rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 15, 16. He needed to wake up. He was living in high on the hog in plenty. Lazarus had nothing. He thought he was probably right there, right with God, and everything was good. Until it was too late. We need to consider the days of our life. The psalmist would say in chapter 90, verses 10 and 12, As for the day of your life, they contain 70 years, or due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is God and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Help us to reflect on life today that it's temporal, it's going to end, but you endure forever and we'll endure with you forever if we follow you. So we have hope. Again, the psalmist in the 37th Psalm said, Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be anxious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like grass and fade like the green herb. Trust the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as the noonday. I'm working on a series about trusting in the Lord, and I really don't know where to start. 
I'm just struggling with it right now. It's in its beginning stages. You know how much trust it took for Abraham to leave this country? You realize how much trust it took him when God said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. You know the one that the seed promises through? The one that's going to be a blessing to the entire world, all of humanity, that you don't fully comprehend and understand? That one? Your only son, you and Sarah, the one that's promised, I want you to sacrifice him on an altar. The movie, His Only Son, kind of got into some of the emotions about that and how it might have been, all the memories of how this came about and God continued to deliver him and how his son was born. And now God says, sacrifice him. It took a lot of faith. Dr. Paul Brand is a physician who deals with people suffering from Hansen's disease, also known as leprosy. He was asked in an interview to give examples of people who had undergone this tremendous suffering. And he, he cited some examples in detail. And he was asked whether the suffering of these people had turned them toward God or away from God. He said there was no common reaction. He said some grew closer to God, others bitterly drifted away. But the difference was there based on their attitude toward the cause and response. Those who kept looking back asking, why did this happen? Why did I deserve this? Am I being punished? Where is justice in life? Those are the ones who bitterly walk away. But the sufferers who grew closer, their focus of their response was, okay, this suffering is terrible, it hurts, it's not fair, there's no justice, okay. But now I face a challenge. I can look ahead with God's help, seek and find His work, His glory, His goodness, in every moment of my life, both moments of pleasure and pain. The last group didn't surrender to their pain. They didn't allow themselves to be consumed by guilt or despair. They faced a terrible disease with courage and strength that the other group didn't have. And the why of that was because they focused, didn't focus on the why, they focused on God. They built their lives around God and clung to Him. Because of that, they received strength. And Paul prayed three times. Remove this thorn from me. Remove this suffering, this obstacle from me. I prayed for it three times. And he didn't do it. He just said, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus prayed that the cup of suffering that he was going to face would pass. Wouldn't have to go through it. But he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And so David would respond to his suffering, and he's not angry at God, when he said in chapter 42 of the psalm, and verse 6, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you, God, from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. We sometimes sing the song, Trust and Obey, as an invitation. But I want you, I came across a quote have to work it out and figure out how it was said. Probably come up in my series on trust. Obedience without trust is just commandment keeping based upon fear, the author said. Obedience with trust is faith. You have faith to trust and obey. In the midst of evil, in the midst of suffering that comes from evil, 
All we can do is trust and obey. But trust needs to precede obedience. Obedience will be there, but trust has to come first. When you trust, it's easy to obey. All to Jesus, I surrender is a song picked for your song of encouragement. I don't know what you're struggling with, what challenges that you're facing. I don't know if it's something that's just happened to you by circumstance. Or maybe something where you said, God, I'm smarter than you and I'm just going to walk away. God knows, and ultimately you know. But if you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, won't you please come to him while together we stand and sing. Oh, to Jesus.